Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. <laughs> Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And it's been an extreme good news, bad news week for you, John. Uh, Last week, of course, you were on the podcast with your self-described Kathleen Turner voice. And as you found out the next day, this wasn't the man with two brains. This was the man with one coronavirus. Uh, You had COVID, unfortunately. Uh, But on the good news side, you were announced on Wednesday as the winner of the 2022 Bill Handelman Award for outstanding coverage of last year's Haskell Stakes. So uh, congrats on that, John. Uh, I might have to update your intro to Pulitzer Prize finalist and Handelman Award winner, John Brennan. Uh, But on the other note, how are you feeling? Well, I think a complicating issue is that I've only been sick once in the last 50 years, and I was a head cold 20 years ago. So being stuck in fourth gear instead of overdrive feels kind of weird to me. Um, you know, plus not being quite 100 percent is really strange, uh, but it's a mildly recurring cough and nose runs a little and the voice is funny. I mean, if you encounter a bear and you walk away with a mild scratch, you take it like a man. That's the way I'm looking <laughs> at it. Uh, but I'm just glad I heard my spider sense tingling at SBC uh, America's in the Meadowlands on Wednesday. I only spent a couple of hours there total. I left when I noticed something. I skipped our in-person podcast taping, as well as our 12-member team dinner in a crowded Italian restaurant Wednesday night. Went home rather than attend Thursday SBC. I missed my family's biggest Brendan Palooza of the year on Saturday after my Friday test. I skipped going to Atlantic City for the NAACP convention, see how that played out. Did not attend Wednesday's Haskell press conference, and I won't be going to Saturday's Haskell. So every year I go to the Haskell luncheon and I enjoy more than anything seeing a longtime colleague win this award. And now it's my turn. And well, that's horse racing, as I say, you know, now I won a major international award. a la the Christmas story movie in 2013, courtesy of the Harness Horseman International Horseman of the U.S. and Canada. Uh, that was the Clyde Hurt Media Award. And no doubt I'm the only one who ever won that who was not familiar with Mr. Hurt. Um, but I've been writing for several years with the uncertain fate of the Meadowlands racetrack on my blog at the time, and no one else really had the bandwidth to do the same. So I really appreciated that. But Handelman, I knew Bill Handelman well, quite the raconteur, bon vivant, and a brilliant columnist. Born in Tokyo, lived in Washington, D.C. and Paris before joining the Asbury Park Press in 1979. Not exactly the typical blueprint for an ink-stained sports writer, is he? And what a horse player he was. Even won the $100,000 Penn National World Series of Handicapping in 1995. You know, Bill's been gone a dozen years now, and we still miss him. It's an honor of knowing him, and so this one is really special. Hmm. Well said. Um, so a, a few things to uh, to hit on there. First, you uh, you broke the fourth wall to a degree by revealing that you weren't at our in-person interview for the <laughs> podcast. I, I went to painstaking measures last week to record your audio separately and uh, put in fake background noise so it would sound like you were there in the room with the other three of us. But now the cat's out of the bag. Uh, it was no, just, I'm, uh, sure, I'm sure I'll cut this out. No, all over now. Don't worry. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, uh, if they're if you're if you're listening to this, people, you know, I didn't cut it out, and oh, okay. uh, that sometimes there's a little editing magic Oops. involved. But you know what? In this case, it's better, I guess, than making people believe that you put yourself in a room in a small in small spaces with three other people uh, after you started feeling a little sick. So um, I, I'm glad you're feeling, I guess, a, a little better. But it sounds like it's still uh, sticking with you a, yeah. a bit. Um, it certainly uh, underscores your your closing comments last week. How if someone thinks they might be sick, yeah. stay home, sit one out, whether it's COVID or not, you don't really need to be giving other people whatever you have. Um, but, you know, especially in this COVID age and especially with this variant that is so insanely contagious that it got you sick for the only the second time in 50 years. Uh, I think the, the message is don't try to be a hero, uh, especially when you know, being a hero in this case means, you know, going to a dinner or attending another day of a gaming conference. Those are those are things you can afford to miss. Um, but the main topic, congrats again on the award. Um, I, I have won some writing awards myself, but not for anything in the gambling industry, just boxing writing awards, which are nice, but they don't qualify for inclusion in my self-intro on this podcast. <laughs> so I, I got to work on that. Got to win something. Got to gotta keep this show feeling like two equal hosts. I, I don't want to become the Peter Scolari to your Tom Hanks. Oh, I, I actually know that one. Those are yes. buddies there. Yeah, we That's right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I will mention that. So so how did I get sick 20 years ago? How, how did that one time ever happen pre-COVID? And it was a New Year's Day. And my buddies and I used to have for since we were teenagers, we had a men only noon to midnight uh, bowl game watching Jamboree. Like, you know, crazy. A little bit of gambling going on, too, by the way. Mm-hmm. And uh at that point, a couple of the guys had little kids, rugrats running around and literally snot nosed kids, like six or eight of them all <laughs> told, running around, spilling all kinds of, you know, bodily fluids on everybody who could, uh, you know, be in the room. And that got me. So, like, I was immune to everything, but like six or eight snot nosed kids could do it. And uh, until that was the only time ever I'd been knocked down, but COVID got me. So, props to you, COVID. <laughs> yes. And uh, I think once there's a once someone uh, uses the phrase spilling all kinds of bodily fluids, I, I think that's when it's time to uh, get on with the show and start talking some gambling. So <laughs> thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 201 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 200 episodes, they're all available on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all other podcast apps. Please subscribe, write a review and give us a five-star rating befitting a podcast co-hosted by a Handelman Award winner. And coming up a little later in the show, we're going to be joined by our colleague Don Emmons, who covers the increasingly busy Ohio gambling scene for our ohbets.com site. We'll ask Don about the lengthy application process in his state, where betting on college teams in Ohio stands, and what forms of gambling Don likes to partake in. But first, it's been an overwhelmingly busy week, for, for me anyway, in the world of gambling. So let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. Our second and third stories this week will delve into legal matters, uh, but we'll start with something a little less white collar, the Major League Baseball Home Run Derby. Uh, It's legal to bet on the Derby in, I believe, every state that allows sports betting. Even my home state of Pennsylvania, which blocks betting on award shows and drafts and such, does allow betting on the Derby. But some folks who bet on Monday night's derby aren't too happy as rules were not necessarily followed and home runs were miscounted, possibly changing winning wagers into losing wagers and vice versa. In the opening round, 
Albert Pujols hit a home run after time appeared to have expired, earning a tie with Kyle Schwarber. And during the tiebreaker overtime, the counter on the ESPN broadcast missed a Schwarber homer and he lost by one. Then in the finals between Juan Soto and Julio Rodriguez, Soto also hit a homer after his time expired and won by one dinger. Betters complained and asked for bets to be voided, but sportsbooks insisted the ESPN clock isn't the official clock and the bets stand. John, some people say it's just the home run derby, but the money wagered is still real. Does MLB have a greater responsibility in the legal sports betting era to get stuff like, say, accurately counting by ones correct? Yeah, I mean, this is a major black eye from Major League Baseball, in my opinion. I really enjoyed the first two rounds until my $5 bet on Alonso loss, and mm. then I bailed out. But <laughs> I thought they missed a Schwarber homer, but I was enjoying the ride. It was entertainment, and I wasn't thinking about the gambling aspect of it. So now, if any book paid out refunds, which they should have, let me know, and I'll give them the shout-out here next week. You know, our cousin of sorts, Darren Ravel, also pointed out another major gaffe. The batting practice pitcher was not supposed to throw another pitch until the ball lands and is counted or not you know, in the stands generally, but countless times the umpire waved at the pitcher to wait. He didn't wait. And from what I could tell, all those improper home runs counted too. I mean, it's not that complicated. Ask state regulators not to allow betting on this and try to let gamblers in lagging states know, hey, no promises, which is kind of a, you know, just for fun. Or keep your newfound gambling money and run this thing professionally. It's not a hit and giggle when people have bets as large as $5,000 or so that I thought. I mean, Pro tip to regulators, either prohibit bets on this next year or make the maximum bet really small, like 50 bucks. I'm just surprised it didn't get major mainstream media attention, frankly, especially from those who already oppose legalization of gambling for various reasons. This is a great example of, hey, see, this is why you shouldn't be betting on things. But I didn't see much uh, mainstream attention at all. Yeah, I didn't either, although uh, perhaps now that we're talking about it on the podcast, once this <laughs> podcast posts, then sure. it'll uh, really uh, turn into a firestorm. Um, I should note that I watched very little of the Derby as it was up against the fifth to last episode of Better Call Saul, which was a masterpiece. I made the right yeah. choice, uh, but I did see the replays of the controversies in question. And yeah, it's all inexcusable. And I think... MLB's attitude seems to be it's an exhibition. It's for fun, kind of like the NBA dunk contest where the judging frequently stinks and the results are often unsatisfying. But, you know, once there's legal betting on it, and especially when you, the MLB, are partnered with sports books and promoting sports betting, it's not just an exhibition anymore. And if that's going to be your attitude that, uh, hey, we're not going to be too strict with the rules, we view this as an exhibition then basically what you just said, John, I I think you have an obligation to all your betting partners to say, don't offer betting on this event. Um, I mean, yeah, that'll push some of the action offshore, but at least with that, it's buyer beware or or, or better beware uh, in this case. Bottom line, bettors who thought they were betting on a legit sanctioned regulated sporting event have a right to feel aggrieved, especially the Schwarber screw up. You know, you can't just chalk that one up to ESPN's clock. Isn't the official clock. That's simple counting. That's, you know, take a minute afterward to rewatch the sequence and, and recount the homers. That one is just completely inexcusable. Um, 
I guess the takeaway for betters is just to make sure you're never betting an amount that you'll be upset to lose on stuff like this. I mean, that's true, actually, of, of, of anything. You should always bet amounts that you can afford to lose, but you should probably go even further with limiting your bet sizes for something like a home run derby, a three-point contest, an all-star game, a preseason game, etc. There's an added layer of uncertainty with that stuff. Right, but I mean, the NBA uh, slam dunk contest, for instance, that's figure skating, right? Yeah. So you're... People do stuff and somebody likes it, somebody doesn't. And most people may agree this was cooler than that one, but it, there's nothing definitive. So you know that going in. Mm -hmm. If you get beat on the uh, on that slam dunk contest because, you know, you're mad that, oh, come on, that dunk was better than that one. That's all uh, that's all subjective. This is a literal thing. You hit a home run within the time frame. You play by the rules or you didn't. So to me, this is very different. And I don't care if you lose money in the slam dunk. I, you know, I got no sympathy for you whatsoever <laughs> here. I mean, how many home runs did you hit in a certain amount of time? And if you're going to be wrong twice in, in, you know, in a three round uh, level here, that's ridiculous. And it's just lazy. The, that's the mm -hmm. word that really comes at me with major league baseball lazy. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's clear that their attitude was, it's not that important. We're just here to have fun uh, because, it, you know, if if they cared about the outcome of this, as they should, when there's betting on it, at, at the very least, then they would go back. They, a, they would step in and enforce their own rules. They would, you know, I, I did watch the very first at bat because it was before my show started um, that the Julio Rodriguez's yeah. first sequence. Hmm. And yeah, he had the best batting practice pitcher I've ever seen putting yeah. perfect balls over the plate, but also there's no way that, that his previous uh, launches had landed before. I mean, those pitches were coming one after another, after yeah. another. And uh, if that's, if that's not something the rules allow, then you got to enforce that. And 10 seconds into th the thing say, Hey, stop, that's illegal. We're starting over, follow the rules. Um, and then that would have fixed that at least for the, for the whole night, I think. But so, yeah, obviously baseball's attitude is we don't care. This is just an exhibition. This is just meant to be fun. Uh, if that's the case, then people should know that going forward and, and not bet on the home run derby anymore because MLB doesn't take it seriously. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad I uh, moved on after Alonso lost because this, right. this became a joke. I, I, I had a small bet on Schwarber actually myself. So, uh, so, oh, you know, okay. I, but it was so small that I'm not, uh, I don't care yeah. about getting my money back, but uh, you know, in principle, yeah, he wasn't going to go on to win the thing. I don't think anyway, though. Uh, all right. On to the legal stories. First, we go to Florida where the legality of sports betting as permitted briefly last year under a compact between the Seminole tribe and the state is waiting to be decided by the courts. And we got some clarity this week about the court schedule. The U.S. Court of Appeals in D.C. ordered that opening briefs from both the Seminole tribe and the Department of the Interior be filed by August 17th. And the final reply briefs for both the tribe and the DOI are due November 14th. No date for oral arguments was set, but as Jill Dorson wrote on Sports Handle, the schedule ensures that the case won't be resolved until at least 2023, which means no legal wagering in the state before then unless it comes via legislation, referendum, or initiative. This is a relatively minor update, I suppose, and this might turn out to be a more brief news discussion than we usually have on Gamble On. But, John, I know you wrote from one of your conferences last week about a legal expert's stance on the Florida case. So any insights you'd like to share about the timeline or what you expect the end result to be? 
Uh, yes, the proffer I heard was that even though IGRA specifically says sports betting for tribes can only take place on tribal lands, the Seminoles should be able to pull the same end around New Jersey did, for example, the sidestep the clear Atlantic City statewide gambling monopoly in the state constitution. But in the latter case, one of the original writers of the AC monopoly law from back in the day testified before the state legislature, and I remember I was there in Trenton, that mobile betting was okay as long as the server was based in Atlantic City. The idea being you can try to risk all the money you like anywhere in the state, but nothing happens until the Atlantic City server makes it happen. So that's really localized to Atlantic City. Hmm. But look, you have the experts, the legislature and the governor all decide that's what the law really means. So there it is. I mean, it strikes me as something completely different here. And I don't see how the Seminoles can win on mobile sports betting. I mean, oh, well, by the way, they'll be stuck with a statewide legal monopoly at their South Florida casinos where mm -hmm. sports betting is legal and is not being challenged. So they're going to be OK. Now, obviously, in a state as big as Florida, no mobile is, you know, 90, at least 90 percent of the action. Yeah. But they'll get a little consolation prize from their casinos. Yeah. So in, in our interview last week with uh, Dan Bach and Adam Small, uh, which, uh, again, fourth wall has been broken. You weren't uh, entirely there for <laughs> it, but uh, you, you uh, hopefully you listened back to it at least. And uh, uh, heard that they both pointed to the likelihood that this eventually resolves one way or another with a Florida betting monopoly for the Seminoles, maybe with their Hard Rock app. Uh, maybe not. Maybe just in person, as, as you were just saying. Either way, if there's a monopoly, if that's how this ends up, obviously, the tribe is happy with that, especially if they get the mobile part. Um, but it's a fail for the state. Otherwise, I mean, they kind of tried to end around the process with this compact. It got hung up in the courts for a while. They had betting for a month or so and then no betting for what might be a year or two or three. And then if it resolves with Floridians going through all that just to have one mobile site to bet on legally, that's a bad outcome. Um, if, on the other hand, the compact is ultimately not allowed, if it's determined that it does violate IGRA, that servers on tribal grounds don't cover bets placed elsewhere in the state, and it eventually comes back around to an open market where the big name operators can come and compete, then I would view that as a win for Floridians, and it, it'll have been worth waiting an extra couple of years for it, I guess. But I have to say, trying to figure out what's going to happen in the courts with any situation is not my forte. Uh, I'll leave that to Dan Wallach, uh, especially where it concerns Florida. And if not Dan Wallach, uh, I'll leave it to you, John, before I would leave it to me. I, I, I usually get about 30 words into a legal brief before my eyes start to glaze over. You at least can uh, push through reading, reading over that kind of stuff. Yeah, I would like to see more of a Connecticut uh, solution. Um, the two tribes there that each have their own casino or have sort of a monopoly in Connecticut, but they pay a large amount uh, per year to the state, to state taxpayers for the privilege. And a lottery has their own uh, option for mobile sports betting too. So the tribes don't have to worry about, you know, DraftKings and FanDuel and whatever, unless they contract with them. So they don't have the, the open competition of their own, uh, with a, a private entity other than the lottery, which is really kind of a, a casual type thing, right? You, the odds are probably not that good. And that's just for casual players who just try and throw a buck down here and there. So it, it's, it's, it's not great for the better, clearly. Uh, that's what we're thinking of, as you mentioned, but it's pretty good for the taxpayer. And the Florida solution is liable to be something that is not good for the better and is not good for the taxpayer. So I would hope they would get a little closer to the Connecticut model. Yeah, that's that's a good example of Connecticut uh, as sort of a 
a compromise of sorts. It's not perfect, but especially for a smaller state like Connecticut, you have a few sports books to choose from. That's not bad. I think in Florida, though, of course, there's much more interest from the operators. Yeah. More, you know, I think uh, in Connecticut, the operators who didn't get in kind of shrug their shoulders and move on. Florida, they'll keep fighting for. Um, exactly. But so we'll see how that all pans out. Uh, our final news story this week takes us back to a protracted legal situation that I don't believe we've discussed since covering it when it first started in December. It's the conflict between Australian-based gaming company PlayUp and its former U.S. CEO, Dr. Leila Mintas. The one-line refresher is that PlayUp sued Mintas for allegedly committing breach of contract and sabotaging a planned $450 million sale of the company to cryptocurrency firm FTX. There was a temporary restraining order against Mintas, but then that restraining order was thrown out. And this week, the U.S. Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals upheld that ruling to throw out the restraining order. So Mintas is winning these latest little skirmishes, but the major battle still awaits. John, is this playing out as a more interesting or less interesting legal saga than you expected when the news first broke in December? And do you have any sense of whether the Minta side's claim that she's being used as a scapegoat for a failed sale is legitimate? Well, on my typhoid Mary scale, I saw Mintas at the uh, SBC Americas event in Meadowlands on Wednesday afternoon, and I didn't say hello to her either, even though okay. I saw her. <laughs> and that's just as well. I'm sure she appreciates that. She's kind of busy with this lawsuit going on. She has a new job as well. But uh, I kind of have flashbacks of the Jersey sports betting case because to get a temporary restraining order, supposedly you have to show irreparable harm if it's not issued. Wow, that seems like a big deal, right? Of course, the NFL and the others uh, got one in 2014 because, God forbid, a Jersey Shore racetrack, Monmouth Park, takes one-tenth of one percent while Las Vegas takes in bets for a couple of weeks. How could the NFL and the others survive? You know, So they got it. Now, here the judge initially said, okay, play up the company suing her. You say Mintus has threatened to destroy the company, so you can have the, the restraining order. Now, Mintus goes back and says, um, play up forgot to include this email here that uh, from the would-be buyer that seems to show that she had nothing to do with them backing out. Uh, so the judge reversed course in December or January, I think. And as you know, Mintas now has the upper hand, and she has maintained it ever since. Um, overall, I'm a bit surprised the bad blood has continued to spill over into the filings, in spite of two judges admonishing them uh, pretty severely in filings. You know, one said they were tired of the snarky language. I've never seen snarky in a, a legal <laughs> brief before. So I have a hunch we may see some fines in this case, unfortunately. But um, I think play-up play up is... Uh, a pretty heavy underdog at this point. All right. Well, you answered at the top what was going to be one of my questions, which was yeah. whether Mintas is still on the conference slash panel tour. Uh, oh, yeah. Sure. OK, I wasn't sure if maybe she was lying low for the moment, but I guess not. Um, so anyway, I'm, I'm glad you're here, John, to untangle some of these legal machinations uh, that, that I can't. But um, in this case, it feels like it hasn't really moved too much since it started. It's kind of been a bunch of stutter steps. Um, but uh, this line stands out uh, from Judge Gloria Navarro's ruling back in January when she denied PlayUp's request for an injunction. Quote, it was just as likely or more likely that the actions of PlayUp CEO Daniel Simic, uh, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, are, are the ones that caused the negotiations with FTX to cease irreparably. So that's on the table. That, that Mintas is just being used as a scapegoat for PlayUp's failings. And that has me intrigued to see how this eventually is decided. I'm not sure I'm invested in every little stutter step along the way, but I would definitely say the final result interests me. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to come down to the third company, right? I mean, in some form or fashion, 
in a legal sense, finding out from them. So what's the deal? Why did you back out of the deal? So it was like four hundred million dollars, four fifty, whatever it was. Right. Um, was it because of her, or was it because of something else? The preliminary evidence suggests it was something else, but you know that's really what we need, and we're waiting forever on discovery and everything, and it's going to go months and months and months, and costing way too much money. And I think a deal should have been reached, but you know, there's a lot of bitterness here. I understand why they're bitter, but uh, it's a crazy case. Yeah. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. At midnight on December 31st, 2022, as the calendar turns to 2023, most of you listeners out there will be a half dozen drinks deep, relaxed, not a care in the world. But that will not be the case for our interview guest this week. That's because on January 1st, legal sports betting launches in Ohio, and our guest is tasked with covering that launch for us. He's our Ohio-based correspondent, writing primarily for OH Bets. He's a veteran journalist and one of our senior analysts, and he's making his gamble on debut. Don Emmons, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for inviting me. I'm glad to be here with you two guys. So you've been covering the rollout of operator applications the last several weeks, which the Ohio Casino Control Commission was considerate enough to release each week at about 6 p.m. on Friday, almost as convenient for journalists as a January 1st universal launch date. Anyway, any particular surprises about anyone who did or didn't apply for a license or the types of licenses anyone applied for? If there's on, uh, one that's been a surprise is we haven't had anything from Mid-Ohio uh, Racing, which is in uh, near Lexington, uh, Lexington, Ohio, which mm-hmm. is, uh, is, they have a NASCAR event. So they are eligible to apply for a sports betting license. And that's the only one that hasn't applied amongst the pro sports entities uh, that are eligible to apply. Okay. Yeah. I mean, Ohio is certainly unique with the fact that all these pro sports entities can apply. And I noticed, I think it's like eight different sports teams there that have applied. Has there been any conversation in the state that you've heard people just saying, boy, this is strange to have the sports teams as betting hosts. How is this going to work? Because it's definitely something that's unique to Ohio. What's the conversation there been like surrounding that aspect of things? Uh, There hasn't been. I haven't heard anyone say how weird that is. Uh, Ohio being such a sports crazy state, I think they almost expect that that's what's supposed to happen. Hmm. All right. Uh, Donald, uh, speaking of the sports uh, crazy state, I agree. Now, uh, New Jersey four or five years ago had good reason to not include in-state college betting. That was unique to them. And unfortunately, um, while many states have not followed in New Jersey's tracks on some wiser uh, ideas, they have followed this one, New York and Connecticut among them and other states as well. But, you know, Ohio clearly is much more like Michigan or Pennsylvania in terms of the level of quality of their college sports teams as well as pro sports team. Uh, and yet every state seems to be different in terms of the level of, uh, uh, you know, challenges became. So wondering over the past year, has there been any pushback from anybody about allowing betting on uh, college sports in Ohio? And what kind of was the end result? Did it go away pretty quickly or uh, was it right down to the end or what was it? Uh, There has been pushback and it's come from the universities. Mm. They don't believe in having sports betting on college athletics, except for football and basketball. Mm. Determination of 
making that decision on how it's going to happen has not been made yet. So wow. we're still waiting to hear uh, as far as the ruling, if they're going to limit it to just football and basketball. But right now, as the way the rules and the law has been written, it's pretty much any kind of college athletics could be up for uh, making placing wagers on. Mm. That's interesting because I haven't heard that before in any other state. I don't think it's necessarily crazy if you're just a little nervous or cautious to say, you know, most people want to bet on these sports and we're going to allow that. And we think it's going to be fine. But if there are unforeseen circumstances, then maybe we'll be glad we didn't let every sport get bet on. And then they can say in the second year, you know, college soccer or whatever, and then kind of go, you know, through the list. And then in five years when nothing bad has happened, which it probably won't, then they can open the door further and let the sports books decide which sports to offer. They're not going to offer every sport, obviously. So um, that's different, but I, I don't hate it. Right, right. I, again, I'm not opposed to it because what you just said, John, sports books are not going to take bets on everything anyway. They're going to take bets on things that they feel comfortable putting a, a line on. So I mean, the chances of them having a, a, a line on Ohio State versus Michigan in rowing, uh, probably not that big. <laughs> you never know if ping pong can become big or, or uh, table tennis, I should say, uh, can become big in Colorado. Maybe crew in Ohio was going to be the next big thing and we'll never find out. We'll find out soon, pretty soon. Well, I'll tell you what, wrestling, uh, the only sport I think think that Rutgers is good at in the Big Ten is wrestling. So I think all over the Midwest, actually, that one would probably draw a little more action than people in other parts of the country might possibly guess. You, you make a point there. Now, I, I would not be surprised, particularly because this is a wrestling community, wrestling state, and a Big Ten is a wrestling conference yeah. that uh, you may see some uh, some placing some lines on some, particularly the Big Ten uh, conference championships and NCAA finals. Yeah. All right. So you live in one Big Ten state, Ohio, but you're also fairly close to another Big Ten state. You're on that Michigan border. When Ohio launches, surely Michigan will lose some of its business in terms of betters who cross the state line to get their wagers in. When the dust settles, maybe let's say at the end of 2023, after a year of betting in Ohio, do you see Ohio having surpassed Michigan in the sports betting handle rankings? I do, just because I think when you talk about Michigan's uh, sports betting, their handle, uh, again, I don't know what the percentage of it is coming from this state, Ohio, mm -hmm. but that's that's the percentage that they're going to lose. And again, there are so many, again, Ohio stuck in the middle of like four or five states that already have sports betting. You could possibly see that all of those states surrounding Ohio they're going to probably have a dip because all of that is going to ultimately come right back into this state because they're the last ones to show up for the party. Right. And of course, Ohio is a larger state than Michigan, just in terms of population. So there's that edge. Um, I'll ask you a question where whatever you say, you're probably going to piss some people off. But I'm curious, would you say one state between Michigan and Ohio, one state has, quote unquote, better sports fans than the other? I'm going to say it's pretty equal. I mean, because I live where I live, I live in Toledo and I'm like four miles from the Michigan border. So I'm sort of like right in the, uh, you know, right in the middle of all of the madness between Ohio and Michigan. And, uh, you know, I've lived here roughly 20 years and 
I think it's about as even as you could possibly imagine. Wow, what a safe answer to avoid potentially getting attacked by people from either Ohio or Michigan. But then again, I, I don't live there, so I don't have to deal with it. Maybe you you played it smart, Don. No, no, that's 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 true. That's true, Eric. It's 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 about as even as you can get. There are as well, many Michigan fans that live here where I live as Ohio State fans. I mean, I'm 45 minutes from uh, the big house, and I'm two and a half hours away from the shoe. Well, I'm not afraid to come out and say that uh, Michigan's pro sports teams stink. Detroit, 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 and Detroit, they stink. Uh, you know, Ohio's got the Bengals just went to the Super Bowl. You know, I mean, uh, Guardians are okay. I mean, you go back and forth, uh, but they don't all stink like the uh, Michigan's pro sports teams do. So uh, moving on from that, though, one question I always love to ask uh, uh, one of our new colleagues first time on, uh, I've been surprised every time time is uh you know if i can ask uh what kind of a sports better are you are you if at all and then if 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 at all what pro sports are you most likely to bet on what college sports would you want to bet on and then um if i'm walking around a casino floor and i heard you're in-house uh what part of the uh casino floor might i have the best chance of finding you hanging out the the last question you ask i'm probably over in a slot machine Mm -hmm. if i if i'm in a casino more than i am yeah um at a at a uh, at a table uh if i am at a table it's probably roulette uh so so uh but it's probably more often than not i'm, I'm playing slots as far as sports betting i i, I would say you know i i place bets on probably more on basketball now but i mean we don't have sports betting here and last year I didn't really cross the border, but it'll probably be more football. I'm looking forward to actually crossing the border, pulling over off on the side uh, gas station and placing my wages on college and, and the NFL. It's a shame you don't have the uh, picturesque option that New Yorkers had for four years waiting for mobile sports betting there. So they would walk or bicycle halfway across the George Washington Bridge. And then as soon as they got halfway across, the uh, geolocation could tell they're now in New Jersey. So then they would stop on the bridge, make their legal wagers in New Jersey, then turn around and bike or walk back. On a nice Sunday morning in September, not a bad way to go. Well, well, uh, just this past week at the SBC conference, I actually was trying to place a couple of wagers in, in New Jersey and it wouldn't allow me to. I, huh. And I was trying to figure it out. Hmm. I, I don't know why. I'll have to look into that. Do you have like a Michigan version of the app on your phone and, and it wasn't converting over possibly? And, and, and I was wondering about that, but it said it's to, you know, uh, upgrade it. And I did. And it still would not allow hmm. me to make, place a bet. Well, John, tell me if I'm wrong in regard to his answer about slots. You've asked this question of a lot of people. I feel like that's the first one who said slots are, are where we'd find him. Am I right about that? Yeah, and our streaks, we have yet to get not only the same answers twice, but even very similar answers twice. There's always a twist, so that's uh, that's what's fun about it. I don't play poker, so I mean, very little. So it would be roulette, maybe blackjack, but it's probably going to be slots. <laughs> okay, well, it sounds like you are a casino's favorite customer, Don, because the slots are where the highest margins are. I, I get caught up with all the flashing lights, man, every time. <laughs> now, if you want to get going on, on, you know, getting into the poker a little bit, uh, there's a book called The Moneymaker Effect written by uh, Eric Raskin about a uh, former amateur player who won millions of dollars at the World Series of Poker. And that, 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 from what I understand, that really gets people hooked on the, uh, the uh, uh, pastime. 
As soon as we're done, I'm looking it up. <laughs> uh, still available for order anywhere for either you, Don, or for anybody listening. Uh, thank you for being a good co-host, John. I appreciate it. all right and thank you don for coming on the podcast it was great having you on for the first time and certainly not the last time and good luck over these next several months of getting ready for the big ohio rollout yeah speaking of those friday updates of uh sports betting license applications yes it's it's like preseason. it's preparing me for new year's day (laughs) Yeah, they're not being gentle to you uh, with the way that they're doing this, Uh, but we appreciate you putting in the hours to get those Friday articles done, and hopefully that period will end soon and you'll have a more normal work week. I look forward to it. Thank you, guys. All right. Thanks, Don. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. Let's update our betting bankroll. And this week, it was your turn to produce for us, John, and my turn to set us back. Uh, your bet on Jordan Spieth from two weeks ago to win that tournament we aren't supposed to call the British Open uh, didn't quite pan out. That cost us $25, but you more than made up for it with your Cam Davis top 20 Barracuda bet, which coasted to a cash for a $100 profit. Unfortunately, I went 0 for 2. I lost $110 on the over bet on rounds in Garcia Fortuna. We needed it to get halfway through the eighth, uh, but it ended in the sixth. And my under in that Mavs Bucks summer league game was on pace at halftime and after the third quarter as well, but a big offensive explosion in the fourth doomed us. Although thankfully I only bet $55 on that one. So I went under when I should have gone over and over when I should have gone under. And as a result, we lost $90 this week. And let's take this opportunity coming out of the all-star break to update our MLB futures. You put $15 on Byron Buxton for AL MVP. He's having a decent season, but we're drawing pretty much dead on that long shot wager. You also staked $50 on Scherzer for NL Cy Young, which was looking okay until injury luck bit us. Uh, You recently bet Paul Goldschmidt for NL MVP at even money, and that price hasn't budged. Your NL Central bets are interesting. You have the Brewers at minus 25 to win the division. They're up a half game on the Cardinals and way ahead of everyone else. Uh, So that might be a good sweat. Uh, You have those same Cardinals under 84 and a half wins. They're currently on pace for 86. So again, good potential sweat. If they stumble, we win both of those bets. Although I guess if they do well as a team, that helps lock in the Goldschmidt win for us. Um, A few weeks ago, I put $50 on the Guardians at plus 300 to win the AL Central. Not much has changed there. There are two games back of the Twins and one ahead of the White Sox. And lastly, maybe my sharpest bet ever, Joey Gallo under 41 and a half homers for a big $250 bet to win 200. He has 11 homers at the all-star break and quite correctly has been benched a lot and will continue to be benched a lot, I presume. John, anything you'd like to comment on? Yeah, you make a really good point in the Goldschmidt Cardinals Brewers trifecta that I stumbled on. Uh, might be tough to win all three. And I got to thread a real needle there. Yeah. But, uh, oh, and Gallo's only hope is getting traded to Colorado, which is non-zero <laughs> possibility. But even then, I think we're good. Yeah, thir- he would need 31 homers in, what, about 70 remaining games? I'm not, <laughs> I'm not too concerned. Uh, and much as I would like to just go ahead and add that Joey Gallo money to the bankroll now, I guess we can't do it just yet. So that means we're down $3,026. 
And we have $940 on hold in futures bets. So that leaves us with $6,034 available to bet with this week. And I'm up first. And I had a conversation this week with professional better and Action Network podcaster Simon Hunter for my article for Penn Bets about Jalen Hurts. And Simon shared with me his personal favorite long shot bet for NFL MVP right now, Trevor Lawrence. Um, at this stage in the offseason, you're looking for that big payout that just might hit. There's not a lot of value in a favorite like Josh Allen at seven to one, or even in a guy like Hertz who maybe had value when he opened at 50 to one uh, and even higher than that in some places, but is too much of a long shot to bet now at 30 to one, but Trevor Lawrence, we can find him at 80 to one. He had a lousy rookie season, no doubt about it. That's helping make his odds so juicy, but we've seen others take that second year leap like Mahomes, like Lamar Jackson, even Carson Wentz was the front runner for MVP uh, at the time of his injury in 2017. Uh, we know Lawrence has the pedigree based on his college career. He was drafted first overall. The upside is there. He has a new coach, Doug Peterson, who I don't think is a genius or anything, but he can certainly come in and spark something in a young quarterback and help turn around a losing team. The Jags play in a weak division with Houston, Indy, and Tennessee. Uh, people do expect the Titans to take a little step back this year. Uh, the Jags are like seven to one to win the division, which seems fair. And we can get 80 to one on Lawrence for MVP. I think it's realistic enough that things break his way and their way as a team to have a little fun with that. And it's such a big payout that if we're around week 13 or 14 and he's in the mix, he's one of, say, the top three or four candidates, we can start hedging on the other guys and lock mm -hmm. in a profit. So it's a very long explanation. Here's the bet. $20 at 80 to one to win a bankroll reviving $1,600 if Trevor Lawrence is your NFL MVP. Yeah, I mean, I love that uh, analysis and that pick. If the Jags go nine and eight and Lawrence leads the league in touchdown passes, writers love a good narrative mm -hmm. and they hate Urban Meyer. So the idea of really thumbing their nose at him by saying, hey, you know, you're gone. Quarterback's good all of a sudden. That shows how terrible you were. Let's vote uh, Lawrence for MVP. I like that. So okay. now back to my core competency of golf. We have the three I'm open in Minnesota with a field so dreadful. It made that Barracuda field last week look like a tournament of champions. So almost. <laughs> uh, but there's money to be made again. So let's do it. And I go back to the well with Cam Davis. This time 100 units to 110 for some reason on BetMGM, which I should add has no chopping of pots. So a six way tie for 20th. I get full pay. And I'm feeling a little frisky, but I don't want to do the win-lose for a draw of 100 and 100. So only 50 on 50 units and even money for top 20 on another Davis, Davis Riley. Okay. Um, so I have three quick boxing bets that I'll make this week. All of them are just straight winner bets, but uh, only one will actually be graded this week. The other two are for August, but I want to bet them now because I could see the odds possibly getting worse as the fights draw near. Uh, anyway, this Saturday... ESPN plus Joette Gonzalez versus Isaac dog Bay. Uh, and you'll be happy to know John that on my boxing podcast, I already made the dog bays of summer joke. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, uh, Gonzalez is a minus 180 favorite. I think he's a smidge underrated. Let's bet $90 to win $50 on the favorite this weekend on August 6th, a fight for the extreme casuals YouTuber, Jake Paul faces an actual pro boxer for the first time. Hasim Rahman jr. Son of the former heavyweight champ of the same name. 
I could see this fight going either way. So I love the value of taking a shot on Rachman as a plus 188 dog. I think that price is inflated by the Jake Paul celebrity factor. Yeah. Uh, so let's bet $50 on Rachman to win $94. And lastly, August 20th, a rematch at heavyweight. Last year, Alexander Usyk soundly outboxed Anthony Joshua in what was considered an upset. Now Usyk is the clear favorite. Uh, I tend to think we've already seen the best of Anthony Joshua, who has all the physical talent in the world, but gets all up in his own head when the opponent isn't making it easy for him. Usyk is a minus 200 favorite, which means he has to be 66.6666% likely to win in order to bet on him. I'm like 80% confident in him. Uh, so let's go $100 to win 50 on Usyk. And no, John, I won't be parlaying these three bets together. <laughs> That's good to hear. Um, well, you know, I did so well with the USFL picks. And as me dip my toe in for the first time on the Canadian Football League, mm. which has nine teams instead of eight, but also the teams actually have home games, so it's a little different. <laughs> now, the West Division with the five teams, of course, is 19 and eight, and the East is four and 15. Something tells me there's betting opportunities to be had here. Uh, it's 21 week schedule, everyone gets three bye weeks, and six teams make the playoffs. Uh, I love those wacky Canadians. <laughs> so, so the Toronto Argonauts just beat the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, not to be confused with the Ottawa Rough Riders. They went belly up in 2005 at last um, by six points last weekend. And now they're underdogs. I don't get it. The Argonauts also amazingly only lost by one point on July 4th to the 6-0 Winnipeg Blue Bombers. So the Argos are winding into form, I think. And I'm going to go 100 to win 135 on a money line there. Well, let's see if uh, your success in uh, non-NFL professional uh, football carries over. Uh, and that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Don Emmons. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else. And with that, John? Please take us out. So this was going to be a heartwarming tale of how maybe we have finally learned something from all this losing this year that we've had in our, our gambles. The British Open is a key event of the second half of the year in my 14-member 30-week golf pool at double money for the winner. That could revive many seasons and, and many more others, which should what happened. I read a review early Wednesday evening that absolutely had the winner locked in. I believed it, and a half hour before the deadline, I nearly added this player. But I looked at my foursome and I just couldn't take any of them off the board. So I had an idea. Bet 10 bucks on the fifth guy at 20 to 1. It's bad if he wins, but then I get 200 bucks and the ante for the pool is only 100. I'd rather win the pool, frankly, but this seems like a professional hedge, right? So, mm -hmm. so far, so good. Sure enough, the picks come in and uh, my fifth guy is my main existential threat to my third place standing because the fourth and fifth place guys each took him, though the top two, thankfully, did not. Now, my entire foursome is in the top 12 entering the final round, so I like where I stand. I got it all figured out here. Well, as everyone has figured out by now, speaking of figuring out, yeah, my fifth guy was Cameron Smith, the damn eventual winner. But my hedge made watching possible, at least. Hours later, I decided to take some consolation by noticing that my DraftKings account of triple digits it always starts with a five. Now, for maybe the first time ever, it starts with a seven, so I nice. got that going for me. Except it still started with a five. So while I placed the bet preliminarily, somehow I must have forgotten to close the deal, as uh. they say. So now I sit in fifth place in a three places payout league, and I didn't hedge Jack, it turns out, or Cam for that matter. <laughs> so enough of that until mid-August uh, 
when Rory McIlroy, after crushing my spirit on Sunday, will be second chance in four years to win the last tournament that we have and win me the grand prize once again. And with that, until next time, gamble on. And for the love of God and all that is holy, don't forget to click your pick. <laughs> <laughs>